Everybody's doing good? Having a good Sunday? We are in the middle of a series. Actually, we're wrapping it up. Today's the wrap-up. Um, but it's, it's called Love Without Limit. Last week, um, I kind of talked about uh, the communion, the, the Last Supper as we know it. And so if you missed it, I'm sorry. We're going to kind of jump right into things from where we were. Um, but the scene was set, right? Um, we're now at the Last Supper where Jesus is actually about to be killed. Peter is questioning whether he himself would betray Jesus. The disciples, they're all brawling about who is the greatest in the kingdom. John is leaned in close to secure his position as the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? And, uh, but there's more, there's actually a desired guest at that table at that night, specifically, and we're going to talk about who that person was. So if you go with me to Matthew 26, we're going to start in verse 14. Verse 14 in the Passion Translation, it says, One of the twelve apostles, Judas the locksmith, went to the leading priest. Right, so locksmith, it just kind of refers to the fact that he was the treasurer, he was the keeper of the finances for Jesus' ministry. And so, verse 15, it says, And said, How much are you willing to pay me to betray Jesus into your hands? They agreed to pay him 30 silver coins. Immediately, Judas began to scheme and look for an opportunity to betray him. All right, so why 30 pieces of silver? Just kind of ask myself, like, what's this 30 pieces of silver or shekels as other translations say, but it, it really just refers to the fact that it wasn't a whole lot of money. Um, actually, Jesus's life uh, is worth the same price as what a servant's life uh, was worth at the time. Exodus 21, 32, you don't have this in your notes, it's not on the screen, I'm going to read it to you. It says, the bull, if the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave, and the bull is to be stoned to death. So it was in comparison to the same amount of a servant's life. It also, 30 shekels also represents uh, fulfilling the Old, Old Testament prophecy, Zechariah eleven thirteen. This isn't in your notes either. But it says, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. So when we think of Judas, when we're thinking about who this person is, most of the time, probably 95% of the time, we think of like the betrayer, we think of kind of a villainous, dark type person. But something to note about Judas is that he handled the finances. He handled all of the finances for Jesus' ministry. Now, Matthew probably would have been a better choice because he was the tax collector, right? But they chose Judas for some reason. Now, Judas in the Greek... It's the Greek form of the Hebrew name Judah, right? And Judas uh, in Hebrew is Yehadah, which means praise or let God be praised. Verse 17, let's continue. It says, on the first day of the Passover, the day when all bread made with yeast was removed from every Jewish home, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where should we, we prepare the Passover meal for you? He answered them, my heart longs with great desire to eat this Passover meal with you. So he was looking forward to this meal with them. It says, going to Jerusalem, 
and you will encounter a man. Tell him that the teacher says, my appointed time is near, and I am coming to your home to eat the Passover meal with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had instructed them, and they prepared the Passover meal. So Luke twenty two twelve. again, this isn't on the screen, but it actually is the same story, but Luke didn't leave out this detail. It says, and he will show you a large furnished upper room, prepare it there. So most of the time when we think of the Last Supper, I kind of had the table up here last week, but there's a, a picture um, that um, Leonardo da Vinci um, painted, right? I believe it was 1495, roughly. Everybody kind of knows this picture. It kind of has uh, Peter and Judas and John kind of over on the left side of Jesus. It has different names up there, so you, you really can identify which one was up there. Um, but that's the picture that we have in our mind. I think it was just easier for him to paint onto the wall, um, so he went with that route. But the word furnished that Luke is talking about, in the Roman era, it actually mean, means triclinium, which is more of a U-shaped type of dining, right? Like that's the Romans, that's the way that they ate. There's another picture of that. And so um, as you're looking at it, if John leans on Jesus' chest, it meant that John was seated directly to uh, Jesus' right in the third position, if you look at the drawing, and at the, at the end of the left wing, when John spoke to Ju Jesus, he simply leaned back on his chest, and that's what John did when he asked Jesus who was going to betray him. On the left side of Jesus would have been Judas, interestingly, reclining in the place of the guest of honor. We know this because Jesus shared his bowl with him at dinner, a customary gesture of the guest of honor. You guys remember that part? And, and one of the reasons why Peter, he's actually at the least place of honor, uh, and that's why there's all these descriptions of him seeing the different people and the different scenarios, and I think that's probably why he was the most insecure at the table and questioning where he was with Jesus was because he was at the least place of, of honor there. Verse 20, it says, When evening came, he took his place at the table and dined with the twelve. While they were eating, Jesus spoke up and said, one of you is about to betray me, feeling deeply hurt by these words. One after another asked him, you don't mean me, do you? So if Judas was the obvious villain, right, like if he was the, obviously, the obvious bad guy, they wouldn't have questioned whether it was them that was going to betray him. They wouldn't have said, well, maybe it's this person or maybe it's that. No, they were all assuming that maybe it was them. They didn't think specifically Judas. Verse 23, it says, he answered, it is, it is one who has shared meals with me as an intimate friend. And you know John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's like, that's got to be me. I'm the one, right? But then he's thinking, well, this is a double-edged sword because I'm not going to betray him, so I'm not going to speak up here. Um, verse 24, it says, all that was prophesied of me will take place, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays the Son of Man. It would be far better for him if he had never been born. Verse 25, then finally Judas the traitor spoke up and asked him, teacher, perhaps it is I. Jesus answered, you said it. So why would Jesus have Judas at this dinner, right? Like Jesus made out the invitation list, clearly. He's the one that wanted these people to be there. This is at the end of his life. This is the last meal that he's ever going to have while he's on the earth. And here he's, he invites these specific people. Why would he have Judas there at his last meal. Um, I, I know if it was me and I knew that somebody was going to betray me like that, I would say you can go on with your bad self and have a meal somewhere else, not at this dinner table. This is my last meal. You're not going to be there, right? Um, I remember 
roughly ninth grade, uh, I was friends with this young guy named Lee, and Lee was a Christian. Um, I, at the time, was not a believer, but I respected this young guy for his faith and admired him, and he talked about his faith while we went to this private school. And uh, there was this other guy, I think his name was John. Um, he was a much larger uh, guy than Lee. Lee was kind of short and small. Um, but this other guy started bullying this kid, Lee. And mo again, most of the time I ever got into a fight, it was usually because I was trying to protect somebody else, unfortunately, right? And so I walk over and I tap on this guy, John's shoulder, right? I just tap on his shoulder. That's kind of just like tapping like, hey, please don't do that, right? That's all, I, that's all I was doing. This guy, John, happened to be a soccer player also. He turns around and does a roundhouse kick to my face, okay? Right to my jaw, I'm standing there thinking, oh, this is just, what in the world? I'm just trying to check on my friend Lee. Why would he do this? After that, I turned around, and I seemed to hurt him back. And I'm not going to tell you how it went, but it didn't go very well for the other guy. Poor John, right? Um, here's what I can tell you is we never apologized to each other. We never said sorry. We never said, hey, we got mixed up there. And after that, at the lunch room, we never sat next to each other. I never even thought, man, that's a good idea to invite that guy, John, to kick me in the face to sit next to me, right? That, one, that was after the fact. Here Jesus is with Judas, who he served with all those years, and he's invited him to his last meal. Verse 26, it says, as they ate, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples. He said to them, this is my body, eat it. Then taking the cup of wine, he gave thanks to the Father. He entered into covenant with them, saying, this is my blood. Each of you must drink it in fulfillment of the covenant. For this is the blood that seals the new covenant. It will be poured out for many for the complete forgiveness of sins, the next time we drink this, I will be with you and we will drink it together with a new understanding in the kingdom realm of my Father. Verse 30, it says, then they sang a psalm and left for the Mount of Olives. I left that in there right there because I'm like, after he already knew that Judas was going to betray him, he sang a song with Judas. I mean, can you picture it, right? Like kumbaya, and he knows I'm about to get betrayed by this guy. Never would I ever think that that was a good idea. He prayed for them. He ate with them. He broke bread. He included Judas. Now, why would he do this? Why would he do this? I believe it's because Jesus not only was telling us about God's love, but he was actually exemplifying it. He was living it out and showing us. Um, when I was young, I can't remember what age I was, we used to live over in Sarasota, uh, Siesta Key, I don't know if you guys know where Siesta Key is, we used to go there almost every weekend, we lived right, right next to it pretty much, and every year, they, I think they still have it, they would have a boat show, right, where they would um, they'd display all these dragster type boats on a Friday night, and it was usually at St. Armand Circle, don't know if you know where that's at, but St. Armand Circle, and you'd walk around and you'd meet all the different drivers and you'd look at their amazing boats, and then the following day, we went to Siesta Key where there was this big race that was going to happen, okay? Now, at this race, I don't know why, but everybody decides to swim out super far to where the buoys are, okay? Um, and the buoys are pretty far out there um, if, you, if you know where the buoys are at. I'm not going to explain it. But we swim out there, and there's this whole line of people, and there's this other kid that's next to me that I just got to know, just had gotten to know, and he dares me. He says, Matt, um, hey, let's see if we can swim to the bottom and touch the bottom, right? And I think I've told you guys, whenever somebody 
dares me or challenges me to do something, unfortunately, that is me, right? Like, you know the whole story where they say, if your friends were going to jump off a bridge, would you? That was me, right? Like, I didn't answer that question very well. I'm like, yeah, I probably would jump off the bridge if, if my friends did. So um, this kid said, let's dare. And I said, oh, he said, I'm going to go first. And so he started swimming to the bottom. And as he's swimming to the bottom, I'm losing my breath, right? We can see pretty far, but I'm losing my breath. And he's just a few feet in front of me. And we finally, it kind of had gotten to the point where you almost have to breathe out. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? When you have to breathe out right before you touch the bottom. And finally, we got to the bottom, and I was just able to push off. And I don't know if I, if I hadn't reached the bottom, I don't know that I would have gotten to the top. But the only reason I went that far was because this other kid went before me. And I believe that that's what Jesus did, right? I believe that he, he went as far as he could, showing us how far love actually goes, um, now, I know you, wouldn't, you guys are going to be shocked by this, but um, when Ruthie and I were first married, I was not the stellar guy that I am today, right? <laughs> I was not the nicest guy. I was kind of a jerk. I don't like to use that word, but I was kind of a jerk. Um, I had some rough edges. And I remember when we first got married, um, I remember... We get into some disputes. Some people call it fighting. I don't know what you want to call it. But we got into some disagreements, right? And a lot of it had to do with not the fact that Ruthie uh, is not amazing, because she is, but a lot of it had to do with me. Um, I think it's because just I wasn't really close to anybody. I'd gotten super close to her, and it kind of exposed all of my insecurities. You guys ever experienced that in marriage where it's like, okay, now I've got this person I've got to deal with, and they see all my stuff. Um, and she, I would say she was naturally a good person. How many of you guys know naturally good people, right? Like, and how many of you are the naturally not so good people? Like, that was me. Like, she would wake up and, like, she would just go about her day. And I usually had to, like, pray and read my Bible and kind of get all focused. And I'd ask her, I'm like, how are you just living your life and you're still nice? Like, I have to read my Bible in order to be nice. I don't understand this. Um. But I remember, maybe it was on her honeymoon, it was somewhere at the beginning of our marriage, but she told me, she's like, I don't know what the deal is, but you're going to have to figure this out, right? Like, you're going to have to figure, and it was like this, you're going to have to figure this out. Um, and, I, and the only way I knew how to figure things out, especially to do with those kind of things, especially to do with, is like, I'm just going to go read the Bible, right? And so I remember, like, I had this, this, we went back to college together, and I had this big Bible that had, like, four translations. I'm like, sure enough, I can figure out how to love her in this big old Bible thing, right? And uh, so, you know, I read all the translations for Corinthians 13. I thought, man, this has got to be it. And I just kept reading all these things about loving and loving and loving everywhere. And finally I got to this one verse. It was in Ephesians 5.25 where it says to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And that one kind of stumped me because I, I started thinking, I was like, do I really know like how much he actually loves me? Do I really know that? I don't know if I, I, don't know if I fully understand. I understand John 3.16 where for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But I don't know if I know how much... He loves me as an individual. And it stood out to me. So I started studying on that, right? I started thinking, let me just go ahead and find all the scriptures that talk about his love for me. Because I'm doing everything that I can to try and love her and love other people, but I, I seem to keep coming up short. I seem to keep being limited with my love. 1 John 4.10 it says, in the Tree of Life version, it says, this is love. This is love. Not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as an atonement for our sins. So this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. If we don't know how much God loves us, we don't have any business trying to love other people, y'all. Like, if we don't know how much he actually loves us, we're, we're selling ourselves short by trying to love other people with our own love. When we learn how much God loves us, it changes everything. It changes how we view ourselves. I began to find out things about that, that God said that we're the apple of his eye, that his love is everlasting, which means forever and ever and ever towards us. I begin to look at myself differently. I begin to look at God differently. I begin to find, man, if he loves me this way, man, he's not as angry as it seems as though I think that he is. He's not as upset about the things that I think that he's upset about with me. It changed the way I viewed scripture. Right? I began to read scripture completely different. And I remember I thought I had studied everything to do with love. But when I started looking at it from his point where he loved me rather than my love for him, it changed it. So even 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, which I thought was just all about us loving other people, I, it, that changed drastically for me. Instead of my love for others, it was about his love for me. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 through 10, it's in the Phillips translation, it says, love knows no limit. It knows no limit to its endurance, to end, or no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. It is, in fact, the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen. We're living in a world where a lot of things seem like they're going to fall apart really soon. And it says here that his love for us is the one thing that stands when all else has fallen. For if there are prophecies, they will be fulfilled and done with. If there are tongues, the need for them will disappear. If there is knowledge, it will be swallowed up in truth. For our knowledge is always incomplete, and our prophecy is always incomplete. And when the complete comes, that is the end of the incomplete. God's love has no limit. My love is limited. Your love is limited. But God's love has no limit. Have you ever heard the saying? I don't know if you guys ever heard the saying. I can't stand it, just so you know. Uh, Ravi Zechariah. How do you say his name? Ravi, Ravi. I can never get it, right? Ravi Zacharias. Um, he, he said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. I believe he took that from a song. Um, but the old way of thinking, right, is our love for God means sin avoidance, right? I used to think that, man, if I love God, then I'm going to avoid sin at any cost. But we have to change that way of thinking. We have to begin to not view ourselves as, man, the more sin I can avoid, the more I actually will love God. The new way of thinking is God's love removed my sin from me. If scripture says that our sin is as far as the east is from the west, that's God's love. Our, our love for God has nothing to do with our sin removal. I don't avoid, I'm going to say this, I don't avoid sin anymore, y'all. I don't avoid it. I don't, I'm not worried about it. I'm not stressed out about it. I'm not reading scripture so that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm not trying to avoid sin. In fact, I, the more I focus on God's love, the more I focus on how much he loves me, the more I don't want to do things that hurt me, right? The more I realize, man, he loves me. Why, would, why, why do I need to find something that is only empty, 
right? It's only going to leave me dry. I believe that that saying should be God's love will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. I believe that love is vulnerable. Love is vulnerable. God's love is vulnerable. Sometimes you're going to sit next to people in life, whether you're placed there or whether you just chose to be there, but you're going to sit next to people that are difficult to love. Right? They're going to be emotionally difficult. Right? Some of you might have your arms around. You're like, man, they're emotionally difficult to love. And the answer isn't to run. It's not to run away from those difficulties. And because I, I would I would say that is the, the thought process, right? Man, I, this person is hurting me in some way. Now, obviously, physical hurt, we would never think that we would never recommend that. But there are some people that it's just gonna be difficult to love them, right? And I and I've had my own experience where I thought, man, I'm looking for people that are just not going to hurt me anymore. And can I tell you, it doesn't exist. There is no place you could go. The grass is not greener on the other side. You could run. You can hide. But I promise you, if you're around people, they're just going to hurt. Love is vulnerable. Um, we used to go uh, to Canada every year to um, hunt things. Now, I'm not going to tell you what we hunted, but whatever that thing that we hunted, uh, it was a family tradition, my wife's family's tradition, right? And whatever we hunted, those things could eat me, okay? So just to let you know, I'm giving you a hint. That's why I felt better about it, but it still was kind of a scary thing. So the place we used to go to was Manitoba, Canada, which is where Bob and Dorothy are from. But the first year I went, I remember I had no experience with this type of thing. I was even borrowing somebody's gun and all this other jazz. But we get up there. Well, before we got up there, somebody said, hey, Matt, um, you need to go out and buy a bug suit, right? And I was like, I have no clue what a bug suit is. Does anybody have no clue what a bug suit is in here? Okay, good. Look. All right. So I brought a bug suit because I was the same way, right? Now, this is similar to a bug suit. It doesn't have the screen on the front. There we go. I was going to put the whole thing on, but I decided to, to resist. Um, all right. So the only difference is, so you put this up, and there's a screen that goes over it, okay? Can you picture it? I, I didn't have to have the screen today, right? So uh, now I got a deal when I bought this thing um, years ago. Uh, I, I found one for $20, and I'm always one for a deal. I'm like, oh, $20, bug suit. I don't know what kind of bugs are up there, but I got to get that, right? So I go up. And buy the suit. And I get, when we get up to Canada, I, everybody else puts on their bug suits. And I start noticing that my bug suit looks different than their bug suit. But I was like, I don't care. It's a discount. 20 bucks. Can't go wrong, right? And so we get out to this uh, place in Manitoba. The, the guy drops us off. We climb up into this stand, right? And I'm up in the stand. And all of a sudden, you hear a familiar sound that most Floridians know that sounds like this. Right? And I was like, oh, that, there they are. And that, what I didn't know is that Canadian mosquitoes are like five times the size as Floridian mosquitoes. Okay? And I start noticing with this bug suit and everything, they're poking through the screen of my, of my bug suit, right? And they're landing all over, and I can feel them literally poking through my entire 
No, nothing, it was pointless. I should have just worn a T-shirt, right? And I'm seeing all these mosquitoes, and I'm freaking out, and I'm swatting them, and I'm trying to get them off my arms the whole time. Meanwhile, the animal that um, I said could eat me comes out and looks up at me and thinks, this guy is crazy. I'm out of here. And I said, you, please, just leave. This is not a time for you to come out here. And so I waited till the animal was gone. I climbed out of the stand, right, which was, I think it was like an hour early from when the guide was going to come back. And he's, got, he's on a four-wheeler. And so when I get out to the street, there's nobody around for miles, okay? And I think I got to just stay here because he said to meet him here. So the mosquitoes decided to follow me out there to the street because I thought the street was going to be safe. And as I'm out there, all of a sudden I'm running from the mosquitoes in a circle like this, right? I'm like, I'm sure these things are going to give up. Was I, kinda go was I going crazy? I was slightly going crazy, right? I was just... When the guy got there, he's like, you okay? I'm like, uh, I don't know. I just ran for an hour from mosquitoes, so am I going okay? I don't know. Um, but I say all that to say that I bought the wrong bug suit, okay? I bought the wrong suit. I had the wrong suit on. And listen, when we're trying to love people without knowing God's love, man, we're, we've got the wrong suit on. We're going to get hurt. We're, the, the process by which we love people it's, it's only going to go so far. We're going to be disappointed at some point, and we're going to feel all the, the nasties. I don't know what that word is, but the nasties, right? Offenses, they're going to hurt us. It's going to happen because we don't have the right suit. 1 Corinthians 13, I want to go back to it, verse 4. It says, love is very patient and kind. It's never jealous or envious. It's never boastful or proud. Verse 5, it says, it's never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. This right here is what I loved. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges right here and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. That was something, man, I, I struggled with. It is never glad about injustice but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him. It's kind of what my wife did when she said, you got to figure this out, expecting the best, right? That's still love. And always stand your ground in defending him. I found myself, as I would read that, I found myself, I don't see myself in any of that. I found that I was falling short of all of those things. But the reason why that was is because I had it backwards. But when you learn how Christ loved the church, these things become easy. Right? Jesus could have just came and he could have just died. He could have just turned himself into the, you know, to the Romans. He could have just said, here, let's, let's just sacrifice. Let's just get this over with. We got to show that. And then he could have just said, that is love. But no, he actually hung out with the, the people that came up short. He hung out with them. He invited people that were going to betray him, that were, that were going to turn him over to be killed. He invited them, and he had dinner with them, and he washed their feet. That's nasty. Romans 8.31. I just want to read this with you all. It says, what can, ev what can we ever say to such wonderful things as these? If God is on our side, who can ever be against us? Now, that's not saying that people aren't going to be against us. That's not saying people aren't going to hurt us or they're not going to try and hurt us. But it's basically saying if we are honed in on his love for us, it's as if it's not happening. 
It's as if the water goes off a, a duck's back, man. Those offenses, those things that hurt you in the past, they don't hurt you anymore because you're confident. You're set in his love. You've recognized you're, you're the apple of his eye, right? Since, verse 32, it says, since he did not spare his own son for us but gave him up for us all, won't he also surely give us everything else? Verse 33, it says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his will? Will God? No. He is the one who has forgiven us and given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ? No. For he is the one who died for us and came back to life again for us and is sitting at the right place of the highest honor next to God, pleading for us there in heaven. Who then can ever keep Christ's love from us? We, uh, when we have trouble and calamity, when we are hunted down or destroyed, it is because he doesn't, is it because he doesn't love us anymore? This is basically saying, look, when we're going through hard times, y'all, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love us anymore. And if we are hungry or penniless or in danger or threatened with death, has God deserted us? No, for the scripture tells us that for his sake, we, we must be ready to face death at every moment of the day. We are like sheep awaiting the slaughter, but despite all this overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us enough to die for us. For I am convinced, and that's all that I'm talking about, it's just being convinced. For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate you from his love. Death can't. Life can't, the angels won't, and all the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, or where we are high above the sky, I love this part, or in the deepest ocean, nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. God demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ when he died for us. He swam deep, y'all. He swam deep to show us this is how my, my, far my love can go. It, go. it went way past what we could do. He sat and ate with those who would deny him and betray him. He shared his life with them. He shared his life with us. He shared his goodness with us. He shared his faithfulness to us. And the more we hone in on those things, Man, we can swim a lot deeper than we realize. We can go a lot further. We can love the unlovely. We can forgive those who have hurt us. Remember how many times? It was like seven times 70 or whatever, and they're like, Lord, increase our faith. Look, Romans 5.5, 5, it says that the love of God abides in our heart. That same love that redeemed mankind, the same love that God has and lived abides in us. Now, we're not going to get it all perfect. We're going to make mistakes but we get to go back to his love and God, show, show me how much you love me. Help me to love these people that are difficult. Help me to love myself when I'm difficult. Amen? Let me pray for you guys, if you would stand with me this morning. His love has no limit. It has no bound. And we're so thankful for it. God, we just trust you today. We thank you. We thank you for sending your son. You didn't send your son to condemn the world, but that the whole world might be saved through you. We trust you today. We love you. We thank you as we're learning about who you are, as we go throughout our week, God, that we're reminded of how much you love us. Not how much we have to love other people, but how much you love us, God. You paid it all. 
And we trust you for that. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen.